This is episode 26 of The New Normal. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for sticking with us and our inconsistent schedule, but we appreciate you coming back every single time. We get into some politics today with the election results and where they're being challenged, the outcome of the election, what it means for Americans, specifically conservatives and right-leaning individuals. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The New Normal, where we're talking current events, finances, philosophy, preparedness, and more. My name is Sal, and with me, as always, is my good friend, Quentin. Each week, we dive into those various topics and bring you an inspiring person or message to navigate the world with a positive mindset in this new normal. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now, here we go. Welcome back, everybody, to the New Normal Podcast. We've got some stuff to talk about today. We are joined by our good friend Gino, returning guest. We love bringing on our, our past guests to get their perspectives on things. And uh, at the time of recording, it is now Wednesday, November 4th at 11.23 a.m. Central Standard Time. Again, my name is Sal. Welcome to the New Normal. With me, as always, is my good friend Quentin. Say hi to everybody, Quentin. What's up, guys? I'm kind of like crowding the camera, popping the wings and stuff. And of course, course we've got our good friend Gino joining us back uh, or joining us again. Once again, thank you for uh, agreeing to to be with us. I know you're going to have some interesting perspectives based on your your, uh, line of work and your your background, your military background. You and I both uh, share that in common. We were both at the same unit, uh, so we have that camaraderie. Uh, and that history. So for those of you who didn't tune into Gino's episode on uh, preparedness, we would invite you to go check out that episode uh, on on urban preparedness specifically. And I think more than ever, that episode, along with our episode with Zach Bauer, who had a specific uh, preparedness mindset and homesteading, what what people should have been doing at the start of the pandemic. Now we are talking about the election and what people might need to start looking at doing. Uh, First and foremost, I think we should just like right off the bat say this is not intended to be some sort of doom and gloom, fear mongering uh, conversation. Uh, This is just three guys that uh, happen to lean a certain way. Uh, My shirt color has nothing to do with it. For those of you listening on the podcast, it is red today, uh, a red polo, but that's just uh, sheer happenstance. But here we are, guys. We are, um, without any surprise, I would say, I went to bed last night. Um, I don't know what time you guys went to bed. I went to bed around 1130 because I had to wake up at five. And I just said, you know what? I'm not going to get five hours of sleep and, and, you know, be miserable. Uh, so I got five and a half hours of sleep, but I knew going to bed, I knew going into this coverage, we were not going to know anything. We were not going to have any sort of uh, legitimate victor announced by the end of the night. And it would seem by most of the mainstream coverage that it was supposed to be a Biden win by like nine o'clock, everybody go to bed early. Is that what you guys got out of it? Yeah, for yeah. sure. When'd y'all go to bed? Midnight. Oh, yeah, eleven, eleven thirty. My normal. That seems to be about the the time everyone was going to bed. They're like, "All right, we're we're done with this." But as as you can imagine, the the talk of the town, the talk of uh, Facebook and social media, is 
where where do we go from here at, at this point um even if president trump were to lock in certain states he would be what four points under 270 so are are we expecting biden to come on five o'clock and announce he is the president-elect probably how does that work last with, night? with trump wanting to take it to the courts well he can still take it to the courts he just doesn't concede no he doesn't have to he doesn't have to see the election and that's that's the problem if i was trump I wouldn't see. He should not see the election. And there's there's been evidence mount, mounting evidence like as we speak of voter fraud. So I would take it to the court. <clears throat> so playing devil's advocate happened last night. Playing devil's advocate. If if I'm a Democrat right now, if I'm on the far left, if I'm a liberal, if I'm a Democrat, you know anything other than Trump, right? Am I just going to cry foul? regardless if I'm a Republican and say it's voter fraud or are, are we legitimately saying that there is verifiable voter fraud? I think we've had evidence that there's verifiable voter fraud for, I mean, probably 12 years now. I mean, real serious. I mean, we all know places that have voter fraud, right? Like California um, has horrible voter fraud. Um, parts of the East Coast have terrible voter fraud. Illinois is rife with it. Um, Texas used to have terrible voter fraud back, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Places where you have a monolith in, in political ideology is just rife with voter fraud. Now, does the voter fraud make a huge difference in places that are monolithic? Probably not. But it does determine congressional outcomes, which is bad for the country. and you have swing states like Pennsylvania, where you have Philadelphia, which is just super corrupt, and they're rife with voter fraud, and they can swing the whole state one direction or another. So if it's done by fraud, then what's the point in having a republic if, you're, if no one's vote actually counts, basically? I mean, we'd be more stable with a dictatorship. I mean, honest to God, and we would be just as oppressed, basically. I mean, vote, voter fraud is voter oppression. Right. Yeah, and you're seeing you're seeing people post that, you know, you have more voters than uh, you got more ballots counted than the voters uh, in certain states. So, you know, right. to say what what is really happening with this, um, you know, and, and on our side and in Texas and in the Gulf Coast and anywhere where your your industry is oil or um, it depends on it. Uh, even in the in the middle states where they produce, you know, corn for ethanol, um, this is a big deal that that hinges off of fraud. And as of this morning, I mean, we're we're in an uncertain territory. Yeah, it feels it feels uncertain for sure. And Quentin and I just got off a, a podcast yesterday with uh, another. Uh, group of gentlemen, uh, they have a podcast called Liberty, uh, Gentlemen for Liberty. And we had this Fantastic discussion guys. about voting and its significance. And uh, this will probably piss off a lot of people as they're watching on Facebook Live. But uh, admittedly, I did not vote. And Quentin yeah, I didn't and I had this conversation. We did not vote. Um, you can think of me however you'd like to after learning that information. Um, but the writing was on the wall. 
of what was going to happen. The scenarios that were going to play out were, were written in stone almost a month ago, leading into early election. I mean, what happened to election day? And I think that's what a lot of Republicans right now are, are asking themselves. I think that's what a lot of pundits right now are, are just beating their heads against the wall saying, what happened to election day? How did we get to this point and, and blame it on the pandemic, blame it on coronavirus, whatever it might be, we shot ourselves in the foot if, if this is where we've ended up because we've allowed people to early vote, absentee vote up until yesterday. There, there was a tweet that went out that there are, they are counting anything that was po- postmarked yesterday and they'll count it tomorrow or in, into Friday. And at this point, there's, there's some tweets out there. There's some stories out there that are saying, even if it's not postmarked, I was, I was watching um, the pandemic report on, on Steve Bannon's channel, and they were talking about they'll accept ballots that don't even have a postmark on it. And they were just saying, flood it, flood it. Let's get all the Republicans together and flood it. Get all, print, start printing ballots, hot checks, just start printing them. And uh, what does it matter now at this point? If they're going to start counting them if, with, with no postage on it. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's really difficult to get a dead person or, or someone who's ghosted someone's identity to the polls, right? That, that's kind of difficult, actually, for them to go in in-person, do in-person voting, voter fraud. Um, but who's to say that anybody who hasn't, you know, any illegal or somebody like that, that hasn't ghosted somebody's identity, um, can't just mail in a ballot. And it's, it's really difficult to detect that. I mean, if you have 102 or 103% of your state reporting average, or your, your, your reporting average is like 103% of the registered voters, that's, um, I mean, suspicious isn't probably a good enough word, but I mean, that's, that's odd, especially in states that have declining populations. Right. It'd be one thing to see this in, you know, Texas. I could buy that. I would buy that in Texas, you know, 103% of our registered voters. I mean, I could, I could see where there, there's some legitimacy to that last minute. Maybe things are not being tallied properly. Michigan is a dying state. So yeah, I, I don't, yeah. So the people are leaving those areas to find jobs elsewhere. So that's just nonsense. And um, I, I don't know really where we go from here. Um, you know, like a lot of people are, you know, it's your fault for having an electoral college and stuff like that. Well, he lost the popular vote anyway. The electoral college prevents abuses. I'm not blaming the electrical, uh, the electrical college, the electoral college on, uh, on, on the results at all. Um, it is what it is. You have to win the popular vote in a state to get the electoral college. So you know, um, if, if Trump lost that, he lost. It's how we lost. How do people perceive this? What are our perceptions in the future? One of the reasons you and I admittedly didn't vote was we knew the score and what the left was going to do in the future. They're, and it's a matter of time. People are like, well, Joe Biden won't let this happen. Kamala Harris won't let this happen. Maybe not. But in the future, they will hunt you down for your vote. That, that will, that's not hyperbole. That will eventually occur, especially as we slide into some sort of weird, totalitarian uh maybe communist leaning state and that that becomes the uh, new normal for the the left well and so much so and, and we discussed this i don't remember if it was on the podcast with uh derek and and john but 
we talked about that there are tweets out there. There are legitimate tweets that have been shared. They're all over the place that say round up Republican registered registered Republicans. And when Biden wins, make the guillotine red again. Yeah. And is that hyperbole? Is that just, you know, someone being silly on Twitter? I have to imagine that if it's as bad as we're being sold, uh, it, it is going to be with this socialist communist potential regime that comes in uh, with a 78 year old man who, who is barely able to formulate sentences, um, who, who sounds like uh, Steve Carell does as the anchor in Evan Almighty. Uh, <laughs> when, when Evan gains control of him and he just says like, blah, 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 blah. Bruce Almighty. Was that Bruce Almighty? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The sequel was Evan Almighty. You see the tweet uh, from Harris where uh, I I posted it yesterday where she's speaking about equality and equity. And, you know, I I mean, she's going to be the president, in my opinion. I I think he'll be unfit for duty soon enough. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, to go back to to the voting, uh, a friend of mine posted in Florida they uh, they passed that you have to be a citizen to be able to vote. I didn't know that was an option, and maybe that's my ignorance, but uh, right. I didn't know. I I thought you had to be a citizen of the country to vote. Were they just reminding people? <laughs> uh, maybe so, just in case. Yeah, I, I think so. I'll have to follow back up on that one, but um, yeah, guys, I mean. To, to to not vote in person, to not have an ID, uh, that's that's where it, it is the problem for me. Because I did vote. I mean, and, and I voted uh, I voted all straight Republican because you know I, I and and this is the first election that I've done that. Um, I have reached across on both sides because I am a middle of the road guy. Right. Uh, but I just felt like th- this. We're at a point where my way of life, uh, what I believe in, what I grew up believing in is uh, it's at stake. And for our area in Houston, the Houston area alone, if if they go after fracking, like they say, and, and we end this oil independence, uh, you know, where we have to be dependent on people again, we're in trouble. Well, I mean, the Houston area, it's, it's in trouble. So I'm curious as to why the Chinese stock market was crashing while ours was soaring during yeah, all, that. all the coverage. What's up with that? I mean, if, if that was any indicator to me reading it, and again, I have to question this sometimes, is it, is it the algorithm telling me what to think? But, you know, that to me was an indication that it was a Biden loss. Right. Yeah. I thought so, the exact same. Well, maybe they don't have their uh, spies, you know, over here measuring voter fraud. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe they should plant some people in ballot boxes or, or, or the uh, ballot counting facilities next time. I, I don't know. I, I truly think that Trump was going to win. And I just, I mean, there was, there's times over the night where it was like, 200,000 votes came in and none of them were for Trump. Uh, 
you know, that, that's kind of an exaggeration, but I mean, it, no, it was it, it's mostly true. Yeah, it's mostly true. And I'm just like, that's not possible. You know, that's not, that isn't possible in, in any neighborhood in, in the country. So right. why like am I believing this for an entire city? Yeah. Like 96% votes going to, to Biden out of Wisconsin. And, and that's why I think this truly will. I don't believe that, uh, President Trump will, will stand for this um, and, and he will take this to the court. And now they're talking about this was this was always the plan. Um, and Amy Comey Barrett was put in as quickly as she was to challenge this and help the election go in favor of President Trump. Is that a possibility? And what does that further mean for our country? Like, because right now, I think everybody. Stuff down. <laughs> exactly. Every, <laughs> like, the coverage of of any protest last night was very limited, and it didn't seem as though uh, we got the the riots that we were expecting. Because I I truly believe we were not going to have any sort of results. So anything that happened was just little skirmishes. But now Biden comes out five o'clock today and declares himself winner. President Trump does not accept it which has been said for months and months and months. Hillary Clinton said it, Pelosi said it, uh, that he wouldn't uh, accept the results. And then we go into court. I think that becomes a small trigger event that- I actually think that the minute he does not accept the results, that's a, that is a trigger event. And I, I think that's a solid trigger event. Yeah, because I, I don't think that's gonna be small. Especially yeah, if the Republicans hold the Senate, I think. Yeah. Because that 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 definitely poses a uh, a problem for for Biden right out of the gate, you know, if if they do hold on to it. Yeah, and it looks like they will. So, if it goes to court, how long do you think it'll be before we we get an answer? Is it is this going to go into December, or are we going to know within a few weeks? No, this will be worse than two thousand. Yeah. The hanging chads. Yeah, because there wasn't really. Um, you know, I don't think Bush won by voter fraud, and I don't think Al Gore ever alleged that there was a, you know, straight up uh, fraud. Um, it was always about kind of like methodology, you know, and stuff like that that, that they had disagreements about. Um, I don't see how any side is going to accept a result one way or another. I don't see how the right accepts uh, the election under these auspices, and I don't see how the left does either. Both sides have been claiming cheating from the get-go. So when both sides claim it's cheating, what do you do? You send it to the court, I guess, because it's so close. What yeah. happens if Trump wins in the court? Then it's yeah, pandemonium. Well, yeah, because it's already F12, right? So mm. late, late breaking news. We have another special guest joining us on the podcast and on the live feed. Let's get him on real quick. Another returning guest who was very upset and jealous he wasn't invited. So we're, we're adding him on right now. Mr. John Munns. How are you today? Hello, brother. I'm, I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Sorry, sorry that I uh, came in late on this, but I saw that you had a post-election uh, podcast going on and I had to jump in on it. Yeah, you did. I like the pipe. Thank you. Thank you. That, I think, I think this, this 
afternoon, this this evening calls for uh, smoking and drinking of of anything that you can get your hands on, yeah, just to make the pain go away. Wood for reserve in my coffee. So, oh my goodness, I saw your picture. <laughs> getting ready for the afternoon. So we've been talking about the election, obviously, and we've been talking about voter fraud and the potential of this going into the courts. Um, it, it is speculated that um, Joe Biden will make an announcement at five o'clock declaring himself the winner, um, as he did last night, essentially saying, we've got this in the bag, just be patient. Um, you know, kind of a little silent cue of we've got this, go to bed, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll take care of this in the morning. And he, he's got that that grin of his that I just, whew. <laughs> well, dentures, dentures go a long way to making a, uh, <laughs> a grin look a little, little creepy, but um, I don't necessarily side with the fact that only Joe Biden is declaring victory because Donald Trump declared victory essentially yep. for all intents and purposes last night as well. So right before you got on, we were discussing the fact that if if both sides claim cheating is happening and voter fraud, Wisconsin and Michigan are are a question mark. You know, the emoji right now is is just kind of like a shrug. Um, what's happening there? Um, even if Trump right now were to pick up several states that you know are, are potentially going to him, he still falls about four electoral votes below two seventy. So. At this point, is is it definitive that this is going to the court? Second question, is Amy Comey Bear the quote-unquote plant that was put there uh, you know, by the left? Uh, that, that's their accusation that All she right. was put so, there to make this happen. So there's, there's several, several different points that, that you brought up there. Um, one, I think Donald Trump will will take uh, the expected states of uh, Georgia as well as North Carolina. Um, what's happening in Nevada is interesting um, because you have a huge section of the client services and entertainment industry that have been absolutely decimated by uh, lockdowns. And as we all know, anybody that paid attention, um, Joe Biden is a supporter of you know lockdowns. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, I was doing some burrowing around earlier, um, in our electoral colleges, laws and procedures. And, and I posted about this on Facebook and what I think would be very interesting is to see particularly in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, um, the concept of a, uh, a non-committed electorate, right? So what you have is a uh, electorate probability or possibility, not probability, um, for electorates to essentially be faithless electorates. Um, in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, there is no law or penalty for electorates that decide to cast against the popular vote. In Michigan, there's no punishment for it, but there is a negation of that vote. So if you are an electorate in Michigan and you decide to go against the popular vote, then your electoral college count is nullified. Hmm. Um, but Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, that's not the case. Um, so you can have faithless electorates in those two states. Uh, 2016 
in the state of Texas, we saw two faithless electorates that gave their electoral votes to Gary Johnson, which is against the the state declared uh, majority takes all. Um, so it's not as cut and dry as as people would like to think. Um, it will it go to the lawyers well for Trump if that if that occurs in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, right? And, 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 you know, the, the reality is it will go to lawyers and it will go to the Supreme Court. And the point about Amy Coney Barrett, I, I've had this argument with, with several people. Um, I think Donald Trump would actually sit in a better light if she were to come out and say, uh, you know, Judge Barrett should not refuse herself, but say, I'm not giving an opinion one way or the other on this because the conservatives still maintain without judge Barrett, a majority in the SCOTUS. Right. Good so, date. Go ahead. Sorry for, uh, sorry for missing your message too. I didn't realize you wanted to hop on. I just saw it. I just sent you a message just now. Well, I yeah. saw you guys go live and I was sitting there uh, watching, watching the news and flipping between channels. Um, one thing I can say about that, what has gone, gone on with CNN's production values is their budget's so strapped that they look, <laughs> they look like a C-SPAN you know, coverage. Yeah. It was, it was uh, atrocious, not knocking C-SPAN, but um, yeah, CNN's production values were, were absolute trash last night. Yeah, I couldn't watch it because I felt like I was watching a 1994 cathode ray tube zenith or something. Picture quality was abysmal. It seems like the the consensus was all of mainstream media's coverage was trash, and you had to look to alternatives like uh, Steve Bannon, for example, or a Stephen Crowder, or a Daily Wire. Because I, I was watching Daily Wire probably the majority of the time. I'd say 80% of the evening I was watching them just kind of go back and forth and give their opinions and then go back to the, go back to the map as, as things were being declared. I, I hopped on Stephen Crowder for like 10 minutes, but them just, it's kind of like the drive-in AM radio, not AM radio, but uh, morning radio, just kind of wah, 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 here we go. Bah, 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 bah. Everybody's just talking over each other. And it's, it got a little too silly for me. And I'm like, this is serious, guys. We need to have a I serious have to, conversation. I have to give some, some credit to Fox News in their coverage last night is they were being extremely pessimistic against the president, um, which they get accused all the time of being his really only mainstream media champion. Um, you know, when they had to recall their initial call on Arizona, and as we now know, um, you know, that was, was founded their initial call, but there were, you know, a million, I think, uh, votes or there about a million votes that hadn't been tallied in the actual election day, uh, polling, uh, polling votes. Um, so I, I have to give some credit to Fox news for being very, as they call it, fair and balanced. See, that was the opposite reaction that most conservatives I saw on Twitter, Facebook, that Fox News' coverage was trash and they, they were switching over to Newsmax and, and nobody liked what they were saying, which in your that's point. That's tribalism. That's tribalism, yeah. right? Is if you're not going for my side, then you're fake news and that is what it is, which I don't think you can accuse Fox News of being 
fake news, at least in, in regards of, of last night's election, is because they were playing it very, very evenly and they were going by data sets. Well, I, I have to agree with you. I will say this. I, I did not like Fox News' coverage because every other form of coverage is just obviously very biased left. Like you tune into Fox and you're trying to like, you know, decipher left versus right. If you're, if you're watching like MSNBC versus Fox News or something like that. And then you're like watching Fox and like, okay, this is maybe, this is maybe too balanced here. It's not balancing out the other, you know, the other voices in, in mainstream media. Nobody likes their, their cheerleading squad to root for the other team, whether the other team is up by 30 points or not. Right. Um, you know, everybody wants to be able to tune into an echo chamber and say, you believe what I believe, therefore I want to watch you. And I think that Fox News being the only quote unquote conservative leaning uh, outlet uh, did disenfranchise some of their, their viewership in their fair coverage. And again, I commend them for that. I think that they, they their news desk was a balanced. good job doing it. Yeah, their news desk was balanced. And, and it really was as, as much as I hate to admit it, you had Brit, you know, Brit Hume and you had uh, Dana Perino and Bill Hemmer. And that's pretty much your right leaning, uh, you know, members of the news desk. And you had, you know, Chris Wallace, Juan Williams. And let's, um, let's talk about Brit, the animosity between Humes and Wallace. I mean, oh, man, that, that, that was came out, that came out yeah. in full, full light last night is the fact that Humes just utterly does not respect Wallace and vice versa. Um, that was a big point of entertainment for me last night. Granted, I was a case of Lone Star and, you know, three uh three double shots of tequila in so it, yeah to me election day is my christmas right this is this is what i i live for you know academically and personally is is data sets involving politics and um yeah it's it's been a a literal uh cornucopia of of data and analysis that that the American electorate in general doesn't follow closely enough to understand. Sure. Gino, I want to get your take on the fact that you are in an industry right now that Joe Biden has essentially put a target on, being the oil and gas industry, uh, just industry in, in, uh, in general. It, it's got a target on its back. I want to get your take on you know, if, if this doesn't go the way uh, we had imagined uh, in terms of a, a Trump win, what what does that mean for you, your your peers, your colleagues? Um, what's going in the minds of your supervisors, your your company and their constituencies that that are in that bag? Uh, I mean, the, the reality is, if we we have gained independence with our our and with fracking and if you take that away we're out of work you know like i I alluded to earlier even even um in the midwest where they're they they uh produce ethanol right the corn grow corn for ethanol it's not just going to hit us we're going to give more subsidies to the farmers now i mean where, where where do where do where do all the auxiliary 
industries go as well around here um, along the whole Gulf Coast. Um, you know, and that's for us. I mean, we we were hit with COVID, believe it or not. You know, the the energy sector was hit with COVID. Nobody's buying gas. You've got your refineries laying people off. Um, hell, Exxon what let go two thousand the other day, I think. Yeah. Uh, right here in Houston, and so we were just now gearing back up, uh, getting crews out in the field and doing pipeline work, and all the projects that were put on hold. Uh, you know, we were forecasting the startup uh, first quarter. So now where do we go? It's it's I don't know. And how long how long will it take for him to to get a hold of, of fracking? Um, yeah, is this a January situation, February, where you know first ninety days? What 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 is going through the the minds right now? Have you talked to any of your colleagues, uh, supervisors, anybody in the industry, uh, your, your your peers? What's going through their mind right now? Like, what are they? Are they just anxious? Are they unsure, uncertain? Are they already putting in resumes somewhere else? Like, what, what, what is the the kind of? I wouldn't say consensus, but what's what's the, you know, finger in the wind right now? Uh, well, like my boss said this morning, if if Biden wins, we won't see him for a week. He's going to take off. So I don't even know what that means, but. Um, <laughs> You know, we're we're it's just like us sitting here right now talking. We we don't know what's going to happen, and so everybody's kind of on pins and needles, man. I mean, it's it's uh, for me personally, it's it's a whole new world. I've always been employed. You know, after I got out of the military, I've always had a job, and it was always focused around either in the industry or being an auxiliary company to help support it. Um. I really don't know between that. And, and then of course, you know, I'm a second amendment guy. So it hits me twofold on where we're going with all this. Mm. Find a boat. I, I, Sal, I think on your point about um, where, where the economy is going to go. Um, one of the things that we are seeing in the data trends that can give some assurances to, to the, uh, the market it's, is the fact that it looks like, regardless of what happens with the presidential election, the Senate is going to be held by the Republicans. It, right. it looks like the Republicans are going to hold on to their Senate majority. Um, they picked up some seats in the lower house. They lost one seat in the Senate, but they needed to lose five for it to to swing back to the the other side of the political spectrum. Um, so regardless of, of what happens with the presidential election, the markets, at least yesterday before we started calling in numbers, um, was very confident. Um, and the markets should be in an absolute downspin if they thought that Democrats were going to do a full sweep. Um, and, and just like Gino said, um, particularly in our energy independence um, and our energy sectors for, for domestic production, um, we, we have maintained a, a massive growth as an exporter of energy. And I think that with a, Republic held, a Republican-held Senate um, and kind of a more evenly divided lower house, um, the president be it Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, can't 
use their their cudgel of executive actions to destroy an entire sector of energy that so many millions of Americans are dependent upon for their um, for their own personal uh, revenues. And likewise, when you're you're looking at uh, a presidency whose goal is to increase corporate taxes and payroll taxes, um, you can't destroy one of your biggest net earners in a, in a growing economy because that will hold a referendum in the midterm elections um, that will swing very heavily against the Democrat-controlled lower house and the Republican-held upper house in the Senate. Yeah, I agree. The, the way I see Biden taking office immediately, he just becomes a lame duck. I mean, and very much. There, so. There's not a whole lot he can do now. There's some stuff that he could potentially do, like moratoriums by fiat and stuff. But those will become contested. They'll go to the Supreme Court. They'll probably get stricken down at this point. Um, so I, I don't even see that he can do that successfully. Um, and then, as far as the Second Amendment is concerned, I I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the protection of the Second Amendment by the current Senate. I think a lot of them basically. I think they're moderates on gun control. I think they would gladly give up high caps and stuff like that, or, you know, whether you want to call them standard caps or whatever magazines, but, uh, and a couple of other things I think that they would do and they would sign off on. I don't think that they would just do a, uh, like a 94 assault weapons ban or something like that. I don't see that going through. So, so let's say worst case scenario, we look at the 94, uh, assault weapons ban. Um, there's a level of grandfathering that has to be brought into the the mix, right? Because you can't expect a population that has, whether it's for Second Amendment purposes or just the fact that they've invested money in something like physical arms and and uh, you know higher capacity magazines, you can't expect those people to willingly uh, surrender something that they've wrapped so much money up into um so even in the case of the the 94 weapons ban there was a massive amount of grandfathering that was allowed for and i think it would be very much the same way um in a a biden harris administration i don't think that we're living in the hyperbolic uh concept of the gestapo is going to show up at your doorstep and demand your weapons um we I think that Americans, one day that that will occur um, down the road, but I think it'd be like twenty years, maybe a generation down the road. But I but I actually do think that would be the intention of the left moving forward. Depends on who you talk to on the left, though, because if you're talking about your ANCOM type people, you know they're all about firearms and stuff. Um, so, well, and, and and oddly enough, right, is is it that at that point in time it boils down to uh, enforceability. Um, right. Excuse me for one second. I got a Roomba that just went off and it's going to go and start <laughs> sucking up stuff. So I'll yeah, be right it's a back. a lovely sweater, by the way. No, no joke. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I don't actually know where I got this. It's something European-y from my European family. So, <laughs> so, so a question then that, that begs to be answered. Are, are Republicans, are conservatives, right-leaning individuals, is this worse in our heads than it truly is in reality, given the fact that should he become president, uh, Joe Biden, we have a Senate that will essentially keep him in check for the duration of his term. Is this worse in our heads 
or can we take a, a, a small respite and, and just say, it's not as bad. We're okay. Everyone just chill out. Let's take a week off of work <laughs> and uh, gather our thoughts. Uh, we're certainly not going to take to the streets and burn buildings down. Um, but is it, is it worse in our heads right now thinking that Joe Biden wins than the reality of if Joe Biden wins, we'll have a lame duck president for the next four years? I think if it's worse in our heads, it's, it's only because of the hyperbole of the left during the campaign. I mean, it, you know, it, it, I, I can't fault the layman for feeling extreme fear when what they hear coming out of the left is extreme. Yeah. Um, and, and it has been the entire election cycle. So if it's worse in our heads, it's not it's not because the right I feel is living and, and some do. Right. Some live in a bubble in an echo chamber. But really, we live in a bubble of the left. Most of your media is left. Most of the voices you hear in social media are left. They are silencing right wing voices. So you're you're living in a leftist echo chamber is what's happening. And, and I can't help but think that that contributes to our fear and, and justifies a great amount of the fear that people on the right feel. Yeah, so that that <clears throat> when you see a lot of. of right-leaning uh folks that their accounts on facebook or twitter or um they'll even discord shut down uh, a, a lot of uh, accounts yesterday in the last couple of days so when you start censoring the people that does that does raise your blood pressure a little bit because if you start there where else do we go you know and then you see that i think a concern of, of for myself is is Biden really going to make it, or is it going to be here? No. Whether Joe Biden maintains his seat as the chief executive officer of the country is kind of irrelevant, right? He's yeah. he has been positioned to be a figurehead uh, since this entire uh, you know democratic strategy came into existence. Um, but to the point of censoring, um, one of the interesting things that hit me last night coming about whatever it was 2.30 in the morning was the fact that President Trump's own Twitter account also got censored mm -hmm. um, after he came out and made a fairly benign statement. It wasn't very different than the Biden statement. Exactly. You know, when the Biden statement came out, said, we see our path going and we're going to win based on trajectories. Um, Trump said almost the exact same thing, and they censored him. Um, what does that have to do with this current election? Not much, but what it does impact is it it impacts the referendum that will happen in two years. And you know, we can argue all day long about what the uh, executive branch holds authority wise through executive actions, which do have the force of law. But more importantly, our entire direction as a government is driven by the lower and upper house. And when you when you start censoring one side of the political spectrum, you're going to mobilize the vote in opposition of that. And the opposition that's being censored is in fact the conservative base so you're you're really looking at the democrats needing to play a strategic long game of 
um, should we rein in these tech companies uh, for fear of the midterm election coming in as a referendum against tech companies um, and therefore swinging the vote in the lower and upper house to favor uh, republics? I want to ask you this, John. What do you think about um, the uh, the great victory Trump won last night uh, with the uh, Hispanic community in Texas? Because it was pretty astonishing to me. You you go back and Hillary won, uh, you know, uh, an amazing percentage of the Hispanic vote. And then, you know, the margin was basically this time down in the valley in certain counties, like 5%. Trump lost right. by 5%. I mean, it's just unreal. Right. Um, he he gained think? he he gained a a large portion of the Texas Hispanic vote, but I think he, he I mean, actually won Texas by a slightly greater margin than he did last time. He he he. Uh, I I'd, I'd have to look at it. Might have changed, but I think when I looked that, at the percentage, um, I, I was like, I, I think that's actually greater than last time. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but if we want to talk about Hispanic uh, victories, you look how he really snapped up, I mean, 10, 15 points in the Miami-Dade County in the Florida election. Yeah. And that's that Cuban-Venezuelan vote. And and you yeah. have a Democratic side that is preaching socialism and, you know, <laughs> a... a drive towards, um, you know, some sort of pseudo communistic, uh, uh, social services program. And your Hispanic population is one of the biggest suffering demographics in the United States that has experienced socialism firsthand. And I think that that Hispanic electorate, um, and let's not, you know, come under the, the disillusion that it's a monolith at all, but the, the Hispanic, Hispanic portions that do come from, uh, pretty heavily socialist countries, look at that and they go, no, absolutely not. We're not on board with this. And that was a resounding victory for Donald Trump. And I think in the Texas Hispanic electorate, you have a lot of people that are in Gino's uh, industry, like oil and gas, who say, no, you're, you're trying to take away my livelihood and we're not going to have it. Yeah. So I do a lot of business in the Valley and um, guys I knew and I've known for a while uh, and knew their voting patterns. We were talking and, and I just casually asked them, who are you voting for? I know who they voted for last time. Um, they voted for, you know, Hillary. And uh, they were like, Donald Trump. And I was like, whoa. I kept hearing that. I kept hearing that over and over again. And I, I told my wife, I said, something's going down in the Valley uh, where you've got Hispanic men mobilizing for Donald Trump. Like, I've never, I've never seen them and mobilize Hispanic for females. And yeah. Hispanic females. Because the Hispanic population is, is a very religiously founded mm-hmm. um, community. And they're predominantly Roman Catholic. And they're not about this, this, you know, deviation away from traditional morality. And, and that is another part that the, the Democrat Party is, is driving for. Is they're, they're looking to pick up base support for issues like abortion. Um, and it, it's funny that you brought up the industry that you work in. Um, 2016 election, um, professionally, I, I oversee... Uh, a wide variety of of programs and projects ranging from uh you know government contracts for analysis uh and business processes but also 
construction. Um, and 2016, uh, I stayed up the entire night, saw Donald Trump won handily to where we didn't have the nonsense that we have right now. I showed up to my job site. My foreman, who is a Guatemalan immigrant, came up to me and he goes, John, Donald Trump won. And I was like, oh, shit, I don't know where this conversation is about to go. But uh, he gave me a big hug and he goes, we're going to have so much effing work now because it was a, a uh, government infrastructure driven construction company. Hmm. And having a, a Hispanic American, legal Hispanic American, that knows his, his job is on the line about who, who gets the money, um, those, you know, actual hard hat jobs always benefit from Republic, uh, Republican held elections. Um, whether we want to talk about the, the fallacy of Democrats are for more infrastructure than Republicans are, when it comes to yeah, hard hat yeah. jobs, they're, they're not. Right. I mean, the reality is, is, you know, Democrats preach infrastructure, but to them, infrastructure means, you know, education systems and and technological, uh, you know, advancements. Arguably another fallacy, because under the Trump administration, our technology sector has advanced so much higher than than it ever did under the Obama administration. I mean, I live in College Station and, you know, the Army Futures Command just did a huge investment here in the Rallis campus for uh, their their development of hypersonic technology. So um, that was purely based on Donald Trump's uh, massive uh, expenditures that focused on space and and cyber uh, warfare. Yeah, my question. What's going to happen to Space Force? You, you can't get rid of it, right? I mean, I, that's the reality. You, you, you can't get rid of a branch of the military. I've been arguing this for years, and no offense to my, uh, my jarhead friends, but your branch <laughs> of the military is outdated and obsolete, and it's held on to because it was created as a sub-branch of its own, its own you know, side of the military. You can't get rid of those institutions. I mean, it's just not going to happen. Um, and I know we got the Marine Corps birthday coming up pretty soon because I'm constantly being inundated by Marine Corps buddies that are like, oh, jarheads. Or <laughs> so, buy, your, buy your red crowns. Yeah, exactly. It's red and blue. Right? Right. Those are their two favorite colors. How did, we get, how did we get into this vacuum of believing the the Biden campaign couldn't fill a minivan, whereas the Trump campaign was filling stadiums and airports and Trump parades and 96 mile long caravans uh, of Trump supporters. How did we get to an election that is this close and this much in question? How did, how did the algorithm dupe me and you and, and the right to believe that it's in the bag? So it it's it's not an algorithm issue, and no no offense, Sal, but if you if you thought that that meant that we were going to take it by landslide, then certainly not you don't landslide. Understand you don't yeah. understand the the political beast that is the Democratic Party. The one thing that is interesting and healthy for a democracy is the fact that there is dissension within the Republican ranks, and we get rhinos, and we get. The ghost of John McCain, you know, screwing the Republican Party over in, in Arizona. Um, 
the Republicans don't hold their members in a uh, in a very effective manner, whereas the Democrats have always been able to maintain a a iron tight control over even the dissenting ranks of their of their electorate. Um, so you you can look at the the differences in voter turnout to events and know that the Democrats were able to play a strategy which was hiding Joe Biden because every time he showed up in public, um, it created a liability for them while still being confident that no matter whether he's out on the campaign trail or not, the Democrat electorate is going to vote for Democrats because they hold it in such such tight tight control. Yeah, and one would argue there was there was a poll that I saw that was saying it was 40, 40 some odd percent were voting against Trump versus for Biden. That, that's absolutely true, right? Uh, I mean, I think one of the most detrimental things that the Democrats could have done is to have Joe Biden out in public more to where reporters were able to throw questions at him, especially pertaining to his conspiracy theory or not his ties to family money. Um, you know, one thing Donald Trump gets accused of is nepotism. But to me, nepotism means you're enriching your family by incorporating them into the systems of governance. Um, Donald Trump's family has achieved uh, record-breaking uh, peace in international treaties and trade deals and recognition of, of uh, foreign states, of other foreign states, through his nepotistic you know, appointments, especially of his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, has done an outstanding job in, in going and really bringing in some of the divide, whereas what is the Joe Biden nepotism resulted in is just enrichment of his own personal family. Yeah, I mean, he was basically just was average Joe and you know, his family became very wealthy because of the office. Uh, and, you know, and for give you credit to what you're saying, I don't really particularly like uh, Ivanka or Jared in their politics. Um, I'm not really sure that I'm a fan of them being in uh, the, uh, the sphere of the president the way they are. But to your credit and to their credit, what Jared Kushner has pulled off it, it, you're intellectually dishonest if you cannot show some appreciation to that guy's accomplishment. And, and so it, it wasn't all for naught, for sure. And, and the, the country and the world probably greatly benefited from having him in the position that he's in. Well, and, and, and that's hard to deny. It's, uh, from it's a unparalleled. World. It's unparalleled. And we can look at, you know, the, the Israeli situation to say that nobody since Bush Sr., uh, was able to get so much collaboration for a positive movement of normalization of, of political relations with Israel um, outside of Donald Trump. But one of the ones that, that really catches my eye is the Serbian-Kosovar relations that they were able to pull off. I mean, here you have a country that since the breakup of Yugoslavia, Serbia has refused to acknowledge is even a country and they have been postured for for another outbreak of violence, much like the uh, the Armenian um, 
uh, I just said a brain fart, uh, Armenian Azerbaijani uh, mm. conflict that's going on right now. But here you have Jared Kushner um, and Mike Pompeo to a, to a large extent. A lot of a lot of uh, commendation needs to go to Mike Pompeo for these these unparalleled achievements. But here you have Serbia coming out and saying. We're not only recognizing Kosovo as a country, but we're signing a long-lasting trade agreement with a country that up until now we have refused to acknowledge. And let's not forget what or who was in power when the whole Yugoslavian fiasco occurred, right? That was, that was exclusively a Democrat, and that was exclusively uh, Bill Clinton that plugged his ears and went, la, 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 it's not our problem. And essentially, a genocide occurred, right? Almost to the scale that that outside the Ar- Armenian genocide during the Wilsonian period. And what the UN did, they they turned a blind eye to it, and the American governance turned an absolute blind eye to it. And here is this guy that we accuse Donald Trump um, of being a uncouth, non-palatable foreign diplomat has achieved such a, a breakthrough in international policy in a part of the world that has essentially been written off by everybody. We all focus on the Middle East and Middle Eastern politics because up until recently, they were the, the lifeblood of the entire world's industrial sectors through their, their control of the oil. But we have always, always decided to not embroil ourselves in what's going on in the Balkans which is a massively ethno-diverse community that has thousands of years of conflict history that seemingly would never be resolved. And yet this uncouth president was able to, to break through to two of the biggest combatants in the region. And it, it's fascinating to me and you how, how little is covered in the media over the, the historic importance of that achievement. Yeah. If you'd kept up with it over the last 24 months, there's a real chance that uh, Serbia and Kosovo were going to go back to war again over border skirmishes. And so for them to pull it off during that time where there was some contention is pretty impressive to me. So one of of my clients that that I did a product for, I mean, less than six months ago was was state actors. um, And it was involving the Kosovo or Serbian issue. And we had a very interesting analysis that came out um, in support of, of economic agreements. And here recently, actually three weeks ago, we had a tip of the hat given to us by some of the, uh, the uh, Bush School grant strategy um, professors and professors of practice and think tanks saying, hey, your economic analysis really laid some groundwork for us finding a path forward, right? So um, it's not a me patting myself on the back. That's a me understanding that most Americans just write it off and they don't want to look at the greater issues in that region of the world, which is extremely important, as we are going to find out with Armenia and Azerbaijan. That's going to spill over. That's going to become a much bigger issue. In the I mean, it, it's already, it's already there. Yeah, I got to head out. Gino, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate your your perspective on this. And uh, 
we will uh, make sure that the boating accident uh, is official and, and it is documented here. And uh, we're sorry yeah. for your loss. Yeah, man. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> Have a good okay. one, Gino. Take care, bud. Later, guys. Talk nice soon. meeting you, Gino. Take care. So when we talk about the election as it is right now and Wisconsin is is in question right now with with a lot of uh comments on twitter discussing the fact that they're at 101 102 percent voting and the the recount now is is still up in question what what are the next steps what are we seeing happen if joe biden declares victory president trump doesn't succeed or excuse me doesn't concede and this goes on for another week or so what happens in the layman uh, areas? <laughs> what happens in the cities if if we do not have a, a definitive victory by Thursday? Well, so I I I know that the the tinfoil hat wearing community has been uh, very actively promoting what's going to turn into a civil war. Um, I have more faith in the American population that it won't turn into a civil war. You will possibly have some civil unrest in, in urban centers, but I don't think that using Wisconsin as, as the pinion for, for where this election goes is a good metric to follow. I think that Michigan and Pennsylvania are the two biggest, uh, two biggest linchpins in, in how this is decided. Um, and it will go to lawyers and the Supreme Court. And what does that do for the American population who is anxious and eager to get this over with? You know, I, we, we talked about it before you got on, you know, is this, is this a catalyst for people to just say, you know what, we didn't get the, the answers that we wanted right away, so let's just start burning things now until we get what we want. Again, I believe that uh, you have more faith in humanity. <laughs> uh, well, I actually don't. I'm I'm a I'm a huge pessimist when it comes to to humanity. Um, but uh, what I do have faith in is the fact that there are extremely vocal circles uh, on both sides, both sides of the fringe, um, that will try to to you know sharpen their pitchforks and say let's go and let's take this. But yeah. I think in, in retrospect of how closely this was called, a lot of that vitriol was kind of quashed. Um, I think you would have had more violence had it swung aggressively one way or the other. Mm -hmm. I think with the indecisiveness of the courts, more people have had the wind taken out of their sails to where they're going to sit back and go, well, let's see how this, this, this swings out on the Democrat side. They've got, you know, their, their militant base kind of calmed by the fact that, Hey, we've got this in the bag with our, uh, you know, our vote in electing that we really forced through the post-election day tallying that we pushed through. So their, their base is, is being kind of pacified and saying, we've got this. And then likewise, the Republican side's militant base is being pacified by the fact that we have a greater control of the Supreme Court than has been held in decades. 
I, I tend to agree with you on my more optimistic side. <laughs> this is where I disagree. I don't necessarily know that we're headed off into some sort of um, spiral to civil war, but I will say this. A recent NHS study out of the UK came out where they basically measured um, neurochemical response to external stimuli, uh, which is fancy for saying they showed people pictures and saw how they react, their brain reacted to them, right? And basically, when they were shown political messages of the opposite spectrum that they identified with, they they began to as as um, as the participants became younger and younger, um, you saw a trend where political messages were interpreted as a direct physical threat, like uh, no difference than if somebody was about to do violence on them. That kind of, and I think that that's due to um, kind of like hyper stimulation by social media and different echo chambers people exist in and the way that reification affects the brain. Um, but that the result is real. Whether whether that is all artificially stimulated or not, the, the result of it could be very real. And my concern is that it isn't some, I don't think you're going to see massive groups of people on either side of the spectrum do something irrational. But I will say that the, the average person doesn't know how to interpret, um, I mean, Supreme Court victories. And, and the left knows exactly how to interpret the Supreme Court victory with Amy Comey Barrett. Um, but, you know, like the average Republican, I don't think, really knows how to interpret that. Them, us holding on to the Senate, I think that means something to the educated. You know, it doesn't mean anything to the person who's, you know, informed by the drive-bys. But my concern is that you have enough derangement by the left at this point, especially if you're talking about like Black Bloc and, and groups like that. They, they sound real scary, you know, but they, they really are unhinged. They make disturbing videos and they, you know, had released videos of potentially staging coups and stuff like that. And, and what they were talking about wasn't necessarily a violent coup, but it could lead to one. But if a person is already unstable, and I think you do see a lot of mental illness um, in your fringe groups, right? If a person is already unstable, you know, just look at John Brown and Harper's Ferry. Um, did that, was that the catalyst that started the Civil War? That's arguable. But it definitely didn't help. And it was definitely part of our prelude to war. And that is what concerns me, is what does an unhinged person do with this information and how could they maximize um, their, their impact on society or how they feel, you know, that they're maximizing their impact on society to make political change. And does that result in political violence or is, is them maximizing their impact actual political violence? How is that interpreted by the other side? Do you then enter into a tit for tat? So an, an interesting thing that you brought up was, was the concept of social media. And I feel like um, we take Harper's Ferry, for example, and Brown, and we look at a different type of humanity at that point. You know, humanity at that point in our societal evolution was pretty dependent upon physical action, physical violence to, to preserve one's own status within the the uh, political spectrum um i do feel like the modern human society the modern age factor can get 
that dopamine gratification by going on social media, ranting, raving, and saying we're going to do things. And it's a lot harder for modern humans to put into action something that can result in their own physical harm because that's not how we exist as human beings anymore. I, I don't have to go out and hunt for food. I don't have to go out and fight my neighbor because he's stealing my cattle. Um, as, as a modern human being, we do not have the, the predilection to physical action that we did a century or two centuries ago. Right. But we're, um, we're seeing it, you know, I mean, and I, I want to agree with you. I really vi- do, but violence we are, we are is violence, it on the left. right? Violence is violence, right? There, there will always be lone actors that, that commit violence. And I, I feel like a good point to, uh, to, to highlight is when you do see outbreaks of physical violence, it's a lone actor that finds the softest target possible because there's still that modern humanist edge of, I don't want physical harm to come to myself. Therefore, I'm going to find what is represented as a soft target. And that's what I'm going to go after. And that's why, you know, most political violence in this day and age targets areas of society that are fairly indefensible um, in, in terms of physical resistance. Churches, schools, uh, big uh, social gatherings where firearm uh, uh, possession is restricted. Um, we look at the Aurora shooting in the movie theater. Um, that, that individual went and caved numerous movie theaters and chose the one that had the path of least resistance um so i don't think that that humanity in general has reverted back to more primal stance of we're willing to go up against an armed opposition in in public insurrection um I tend to agree with you i use this argument against my dad all the time who is uh an extremely intelligent person, extremely successful businessman, but he's a South Texan and he's, he's a bit of a, a, uh, you know, historical, uh, revanchist. And he says that Americans are capable of fighting another civil war. And I emphatically disagree with that because as a society, we have become so soft, even within our military, our warrior class, um, uh, we, we look at, our warrior class and our warrior class is even opposed to going and doing their job, which is committing violence on behalf of, of our state in foreign lands that aren't even our own people. Right. right. And we saw this under the Obama uh, move. In I, w- I want to make it clear that I'm not concerned about a civil war like that. I'm, I'm concerned about a fifth gen slow burn like lead years in Italy or something like that. And, and I think that you bring up a good point about soft targets. And I think that just the nature of our infrastructure being what it is, it is pretty fragile. We haven't, it, we haven't entered into an anti-fragile system quite yet. And I don't, it doesn't seem like we're going to be able to if we don't invest in our infrastructure quite soon. But a one person can do a tremendous amount of damage. There's a lot can of... Can clarify ideas that, infrastructure in that, in that regard? Um, I'm not necessarily following your, your logic on, on infrastructure. I don't really want to say. Maybe we can have that discussion off air. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair yeah. Enough. I don't. I don't want to. You don't want to get flagged. And you ideas. don't want to have alphabet soup agencies show up. Yeah. In your house. No. So but I, I mean, I if, it, yeah, yeah. If We've somebody wants to do enough. it, they can. Uh, but but so I agree with you. 
100%. I actually don't think the American public has a uh, stomach, even on the most radical fringes, for a um, for, for a repeat of a civil war. Our, our civil war was the worst thing that ever happened to this country. Um, so, you know, there wasn't anybody there. There wasn't anybody not affected by it um, at the time, and so. I don't actually think that we're going to head to something like that. What I am concerned about is um, a vendetta culture arising out of slow burn, low intensity conflict. But but and, even that vendetta base has manifested itself into what we call the cancel culture, right? We don't have people because they can cancel. Mass. Well, it's, it's it's because it's because they can swing ideological um, right. emotion to to help silence voices of dissent that they don't agree with but um, we also have a gratification culture right we, we do where we do where absolutely that that action will only become it is only gratifying so long as you take the dopamine hit from it and at some point in time that just isn't enough especially to an unhinged person that's my concern is it's not it's not like everyone's going to mobilize and there's red dawn or some bs like that that's that's bs well, red, red dawn red dawn is is a violation of gellner's concepts of nationality right that's an outside source coming in and and disrupting the control of legitimate political violence by by a governing entity um that is what led to the civil war right is the right. fact that as a federalist kind of republic we had a lot of internalized autonomy to run our own manifest as, as we saw fit. And so when the federal government consolidated a lot of that power, that's what led to the, the U.S. Civil War, right? Um, and the modern aspect, now that we're a centralized government, it would take something significant like an invasion of a foreign nation to get a mass group of, of American citizenry up in arms. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you're going to have your fringe groups that want to kidnap the governor of Michigan because she's seen as somebody that doesn't have the people's interest at, at heart. And those those same people that suffer from from psychological or ideological uh, deviations will say, all right, enough is enough. We're going to take action. But to your point about infrastructure, which is why I was asking you to clarify, our law enforcement entities and our intelligence entities domestically are are well ahead of the game. I mean, I, I disagree with see that. The, uh, from we, a law enforcement we, we perspective, see, I, I disagree with that. Now, from an intelligence perspective, maybe, but from, you, you from don't know what one person is going to do. And, and what they an can intelligence do. perspective, both of which <clears> I have, you know, personal personal hands in. Um, your law enforcement community and your intelligence community is on top of the ball. Do things when I was in law enforcement, if somebody was going to do what it is that I think is potentially what is possible. And I worked in, in a large city, there is nothing I could do about it. There was no way I would know about it either because your law enforcement is stretched very thin in critical areas and they're called a call and you're bogged down with reports and you're not always on the beat. Well, which, know, is, which is the concern about the whole defund the police. Absolutely. Right. That's a huge point. But the reality is, is for political perseverance and, and, and self-perseverance um, and preservation, um, these municipalities, they talk about it and they cut funding to 
certain attributes of, of federal stimuli for, you know, weapons and vehicles and, and everything like that. The reality is, is it takes, it takes one person with a handgun to offset a violent actor. And we saw that in Mesquite with the, with the, I'm not, uh, I'm not talking about that sort of thing. That, that's we'll have to talk about this off air. You'll see what I'm talking about when we talk about this. We're, we're not going to have this discussion. What, what I'm, what I'm specifically <laughs> referring to on air. So I, and, 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 and it's, it's, it's that serious. Like it, it's too easy to do the things that I'm talking about and I'm just not going to bring them up, but I agree with you on that. Listen, you know, I used to joke with some of my law enforcement buddies all the time. Like I, I would be, or we would be the ultimate criminals because we know how the criminal yeah. criminal, you know, <laughs> Uh, system works and we know how the law enforcement system works but the the reality is is your average human being that is mentally disturbed enough to commit these heinous acts are being effectively followed by law enforcement and by intelligence assets to offset most most of the the outside deviations for those to be successful attacks I, I agree. With I definitely that. think that's a separate conversation too, because you can talk about Parkland as well, and and where the shoe was dropped there, mm-hmm. and the argument can be made that they're not equipped and they're not dealing with it in, in the best ways possible. Well, that that broke down to, yeah, th- that's yeah. kind of a specific failure. <laughs> that's yeah, that's a that's a, I think that's an anomaly when it. Comes I, I will to, say I, I agree with John. With as far as violent individuals being followed by law enforcement or law enforcement knowing who they are. They're not particularly the ones I'm worried about, and 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 just random acts of violence. I actually don't think a uh, a sequence of random acts of violence would be enough to start a uh, low intensity conflict, and that is not particularly what I'm concerned about at, at all. Actually, that's not that's not even uh, that didn't really cross my mind to be honest. Yeah, we discussed it very briefly after the podcast with Gentlemen for Liberty, and it's. We'll stop recording, uh, but yeah, I guess, Sal, Sal can attest that what, I, what I'm talking about is very, very scary stuff and, and, and not something that you've thought about. If you'd like to, I mean, it probably more. is something you've thought about, John, but, but it isn't something the average person has. I mean, if, this is, yeah, this is, this is my bread and butter. So this is, this is what I think about on a daily basis. Um, more in foreign policy as opposed to domestic policy. But the, the reality is America is sitting in a position where we don't know the future of our executive branch, but we do know for all intents and purposes, the future of the other side of our legislative branch and our judicial branch. So um, everybody take a deep breath, uh, sit back, drink some bourbon in your coffee, smoke a pipe and uh, calm down. Yeah, I agree. So before we before we drop off, uh, thank you to those of you who have uh, been watching on our Facebook Live. If you're catching this on a replay, uh, please do leave a, a comment. If you're catching this on our podcast, we appreciate you listening. As always, um, you can check us out. Our, our schedules have been a little bit uh, less consistent, and we apologize for that. But we will be getting back as as often as we can. I can't make any promises, but as as the world turns, our schedules uh, obviously are are a little bit different and unique. And we're we're trying to schedule between myself, Quentin, and guests that come on. Uh, we are interviewing a data security specialist uh, this coming Friday, so look out for or excuse me this Friday. Did I say Friday? 
Um, look out for that episode uh, in the coming days. Uh, in addition, obviously, this will be available on Facebook Live if you want to watch the video, uh, but this will be an episode of the podcast as well. Uh, before we let you go, John, gut reaction and Quentin, gut reaction. What is the outcome of this election and, and next steps? Quentin, you want to go first on that? Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, I, I actually think um, if so, the Republicans would be stupid just to seed all of this, and Donald Trump is obviously not going to, and he has no reason to. If what John is saying about uh, Wisconsin is true, then, then Donald Trump wins. If if they have uh, non-committed uh, electoral college votes, then I, I I don't see how we. I mean, he, I, it's going to be close, and they're going to have to contest it. There's this is going to go to the courts, and I, I don't think we're going to know who president is for a few weeks. But uh, I I think that w- within a month we'll know who's president. I think it's very likely that it's Donald Trump again, and and I think that there will be a lot of uh, reeing and crying from the left. And if Joe Biden wins, it'll be extremely narrow. It'll be like one or two electoral college votes. My two cents is um, Joe Don't do what Biden, you did. Hold on. Don't do what I'm you sorry. did do on, on the episode that you recorded with us. We had to record two different versions. Who, me? <laughs> yeah, your predictions. When we talked about communism. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was, that, yeah, that was before the numbers started coming in. Um, now we want so, a definitive answer. All right, so here, here, here's, my, here's my definitive answer. Joe Biden will win the presidency. Um, it will go to litigation. Um, we will know the president within the next three, four weeks, um, and it will be Joe Biden. The Republicans will hold the majority in the upper house and we have picked up seats in the lower house. And I say we with air, air quotes. Um, Republicans have picked up seats in the lower house. And we're going to go into a kind of lame duck presidency um, with Joe Biden as, as the chief executor. Um, and there will be a referendum on that in action uh, in the midterm elections. But Joe Biden will win the presidency. Um, and we will maintain control of the Senate. That's my prediction. I can totally see that happen. I can totally see that happening. I see that happening. I, I tend to lean more towards uh, Quinton's perspective. Um, it goes into litigation. Trump wins. And uh, we, we uh, bunker down. I, I tend to be a little bit more theatrical in, in that respect. In, in terms <laughs> of, uh, you know, let, let's, let's see what happens. But I, I don't see Republicans conceding. I don't see Trump conceding. Uh, I do see Biden declaring himself winner and it, it gets it gets knocked down, drag out ugly in the courts, uh, which the delay in getting that instant gratification of knowing who the president is triggers uh, certain unrest and whether or not that's squashed and, and very marginal and very small. Maybe we have a couple little uh, chazzes pop up, um, but it, it, it's it starts to piddle away. Um, I just, I don't see this being a peaceful transition over the next, you know, two to three weeks. I think it will be a peaceful transition. The fact that, uh, we're not going to see armed insurrection. I I think that the courts will, will weigh in. Um, and I think that Joe Biden will be our next president. Um, but with, with enough concessions in the fact that the Senate controls 
the desk to to veto and not or not not veto, but to not approve uh, lower house and executive actions. I think that uh, everybody will be kind of placated. It'll just be a stalemate for the next four years. We'll have a lame duck presidency. That I think that's best case scenario. It, that's the most. That unfortunately is the most optimistic optimistic outlook that I can see coming out of of what's happening. Um, but I appreciate that perspective, Quentin. I appreciate you coming on. I know this is very last minute. For those of you who are watching on Facebook Live, we do thank you for watching. The comments uh, were were very positive, so we appreciate your your support in that respect. If you're interested in following this podcast and and you'd never heard of it before, please do consider going over to newnormalpod.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And if you want to get in on this conversation that Quentin's been hinting at, we'll set up a Patreon and you can just start supporting us financially. And you can be in on those conversations. <laughs> but we Did appreciate I get cut you. Out of that? Uh, <laughs> you have to recant your. I don't need one. You have to recant your. I'm just telling you. We'll make t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> but we appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for joining us. And as always, stay safe and welcome to the new normal. <laughs>